Welcome to VidFriends Podcast, Living Life and Love. I'm your host, Mark Braxton from Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about VidFriends Podcast, you can visit us at www.vidfriends.org. You can also email me at lllpodcast at gmail.com. VidFriends Podcast is sponsored by my Vitiligo team. Welcome to Living Life and Love. I'm your host, Mark Braxton from Raleigh, North Carolina. So today's show, I have two special guests. I have Nia Rose. Welcome, Nia. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for being here. And Jane Smith, welcome back. Hey, man, anytime, anytime. anytime. Absolutely. And actually, both guests have been on my podcast before, so I welcome both of you to this discussion. Now, for our listeners, this is going to be, I feel like a kind of heavy discussion for our community, but it's an important one because if you live on this planet, you live in this country, this is something we need to talk about. And it's uh, the importance of safe spaces for men, uh, in particular, black and brown men. So we're going to have that discussion and then we're going to talk about something else that's a little uh, more in-depth that really affects our community, but I'll say that towards the end. So let's go ahead and and start it off. Um, the reason why I wanted to have this conversation, I was listening to a, a podcast on Sunday and there was a therapist talking and he was talking about safe spaces for men, black and brown men, but he mentioned he didn't feel safe, you know, at times um, based on the climate of this country, things that have happened, things he's seen and experienced. So it's interesting to think about a therapist who doesn't feel like he has a safe space. So let's let's start it here. Um, let's identify what is a safe space for our black and brown men. And, and real quick, I do want to say black and brown men because I wanted to focus on our communities and I put us together because we have some of the same shared experiences. You know, I I think that's an interesting question. Um, and what comes to mind for me, especially being a therapist, is that Black men should have several safe spaces. One should be their home. One should be their community. Uh, one should be their family, you know, however they define and put that together. Other safe spaces could be seeing a therapist or having a safe place that you might like to go where you can just kind of be with yourself and, and have your own thoughts, maybe at the beach or a park or just sitting in your car. So I, I'm thinking multiple safe spaces for African-American men is kind of the defining thing in my mind. Absolutely, I like that. James? Um, I, I echo that um, as far as uh, Black men, ironically, the home, the home should definitely be a safe space. Um, but one thing uh, for us, and if you think about Mark, as a child, you also want to be a space where you can be your authentic self. Right. Right. Because um, sometimes in this society as Black men, you know, I think W.B. Du Bois mentioned the double consciousness. Mm -hmm. That we look at each other, we look at our ourselves through the eyes of the greater white majority. And sometimes we adjust our behavior to make them feel comfortable. So we're a lot of times suppressing our authentic selves. Mm -hmm. And I remember as a child and in my early adulthood, 
the safest space was the barbershop. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> On a Saturday morning. Because you have brothers from all walks of life, the lawyer, the doctor, the preacher, everybody can be their authentic selves and feel safe in that environment. Mm -hmm. um, outside of that, when you go into the greater society, anytime that you feel you have to adjust your behavior, who you are to make someone else feel safe, feel comfortable, then you're not in a quote unquote safe space. Mm -hmm. So right, spaces right. where we can feel totally authentic. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, and Leah, you said something I, I thought was important because we know about the home should be a safe space. Mm -hmm. Should be. It's not always that way. It depends on your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, mm -hmm. with with the extended family. You know, it might not always be safe. We talked about community. Um, mm -hmm. Community has changed now. Um, you know, back in the days, you know, neighbor down the street can discipline you, can say something to you. But now you say something to somebody's child, <laughs> ooh, you might not make it through it, you know. Um, and then family, extended family, I think about organizations, support communities, fraternities. The dynamics of those have changed also. Because um, I think back to our Shaw University years, James, you know, we had a safe space within our brotherhood. But as we got older, it the dynamics have changed because we've gone to different paths. Um, we still come together and we can still support each other. And we're still there for each other. But I also feel like there are times, you know, between men, the ego comes in, the pride comes in and yeah. it changes that whole dynamic of it. Um, and then you talk about the therapist and we're going to get into that uh, a little bit later about therapy and finding a therapist or somebody you could talk to that you can open with, you know, especially for men, that's important that we find somebody that we can trust that will listen to us. Listening is the, the important part, listening. And and that we know whatever we share, as long as it's not harming anyone, that it's it's safe, you know. And the last part you said, Neil, um, within yourself, I'm one of those people. I will find me a safe space by myself. Sometimes it's going to a restaurant and sitting in a quiet corner, you know, like I go to one restaurant, they know me. They'll mm -hmm. say, one, you want a booth. Yes, that mm -hmm. is my time to relax, reflect, eat, read articles. I'm on the right, I do my thing. Mm -hmm. um, and there are times where I might get in the car and just drive. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm burning gas up and that gas might cost money, but it's okay. safe for me. I have on my music. I really mm -hmm. don't have a destination. If I decide to stop somewhere, I will. Mm -hmm. But it allows me to process my thoughts, my day, my week, what's happening soon, everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I think too, and this is hopefully it's not an assumption, but in in working with brown men, I don't think that brown men take enough time to do that to go inward to reflect to think about, you know, what are my needs? What do I need to do to take care of myself? Um, yes, I know I have to take care of my family. I got to go to work. I got to pay bills and all that. But what about me? What do I need? How do I get those needs fulfilled? Are there any goals that I need to set for myself? And, you know, I just, I don't think 
folks take enough time to do that inner reflection. So certainly hopping in a car, listening to music, you know, going to a favorite restaurant and all, those are great times to do that. Right, and absolutely. And, and part of it, um, and I'm gonna take it from working in the school system. Um, we, we don't often get time to sit and reflect because depending on your position, like I've worked with, I'm PBIS. I'm that guy that call when students need support, they need help, meaning child may be running, fighting, all these different things. But when I need time to sit back and reflect on it or sit back and figure out what's my next step, I get the next call and I don't get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I get it. And sometimes it's how's the child doing? The child is fine. They're back in class. They're learning. But now ask me, how am I doing? Because I just dealt with something that was physically um, draining and sometimes emotionally and spiritually draining. And you're not asking, how am I doing? Absolutely. So I think what happens with us, and James, you could jump in and whenever you um, have a moment. I think with us, we feel like we have this Superman complex. You know, I got to be yeah. Superman. I got to be tough all the time. Now I got to be on top of my game. You know, I can't let anybody see me slipping. But yet, mm-hmm. slowly, we're slipping. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. falling apart, you know? Yeah. Well, well, I think one thing uh, I want to piggyback off of um, one thing you said, one thing about the community and being a safe space of community. Um, we're actually, and we have to go back a little bit, we're dealing with the residual effects of integration because there was a time when, you know, uh, Africa, you know, ways of knowing we bought that village concept here and wherever we found ourselves settled, those were those safe spaces for us. And that was a space where you can, where the community has a code, had a code, whether they knew you or not, everybody was upheld to a same standard and men, were actually had models to model what to do. Now right. on the other uh, other um, dynamic about um, self care, um, we also um, residual effect of slavery. We we internalize someone else's paradigm of what it is to be a man. Mm-hmm. And so, if being a man is being forceful and not having the feelings and emotion things of that nature, mm-hmm. um, you go there, you self neglect yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So. So actually, and for me, um, I had to literally uh, rebuild and reassess my psyche and my whatever to undo all of the misinformation that I was basing my actions on to get to a point of self act. Well, you can't get self actualization, but as close to it as possible mm-hmm. in some in some areas. So yeah, that that reflection piece and also understanding that we are operating in a system that wasn't died for designed for us to succeed. So understand those dynamics and walking gives you a little bit of peace and it shows you how to navigate a little bit. I hope I hope that makes sense. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, James, it, it makes me think about our kids too, because um, a lot of our young boys are growing up in elementary school to be men already. We got seven-year-old men, meaning actions, but not necessarily mentality or physically men, but just their actions. Mm-hmm. And, and I had a child sit down with me one day and I just told him, you know, whatever you need to do for this moment, do it. And he started crying and I let him cry. Yeah. I told him it's okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I have this space in, in the library with a giant chair. I call it the big comfy chair. I said, just come and have a seat. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and uh, that allows the kids 
an opportunity to feel safe. I said, mm-hmm. whatever you need to do at this moment, just go ahead. And and he cried and he said he was dealing with some things at home. And, you know, I said, are you, you know, ask a few questions and make sure he wasn't hurt. He said, no, he says just some things happening. And, and that's what he needed for that moment. Mm-hmm. And after he finished, he said, can I go back to class? I said, I'll walk with you. He said, okay. You know, that's to me, that's a safe space also. And mm-hmm. men, as we're taking care of our youth, we need to do the same thing to each other. You know, allow us that opportunity to share, to get out those feelings and emotions that we have buried mm-hmm. inside. Mm-hmm. And if you, brother, if you need to walk with somebody, let's walk, let's talk, let's do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, too, that goes back to something that you were saying, James, and, and also you too, Mark, about the need maybe to restructure community, right. the concept of community, so that it incorporates some of the ways that our folks used to do things, which mm-hmm. is it took a village to raise a child because right. I grew up in that kind of neighborhood. And if my mother was at work and I did something wrong, my next door neighbor, Miss Idella, beat my butt. Right. But it was that, as you were saying, James, that code of it's going to take all of us to create, again, that safety of when I'm in my community, I can walk down the street and mm-hmm. feel okay. And I don't have to put on that at the age of seven, that manhood that I right. really don't understand because no one has ever defined for me as a seven-year-old what a real man is. And I don't have any role models, you know, mm-hmm. to, to look up to or um, talk to, you know, or just kind of empathize with. So I, I really do think we got to restructure community to help Black men feel safe. I do. And uh, Mark, you mentioned uh, about the book in school, the school system. I, I teach in an alternative school. Um, but I, I remember. Um, uh, back in 2003, 2002, I was alternative education coordinator at a school, at a middle school. And I asked the principal for the discipline data. And what I saw, the discipline data, it was ridiculous. So 90% of the referrals were between 12 black boys. 90% of the referrals and man, you these black the black boys students only make up maybe 25-30% of the school. But wow. 90% between, and I can call their names out. And I said something is wrong. So one thing we're dealing with as far as black men, black faces, is that once we enter the school system, especially if you don't have that advocacy and those parents that, that can support you, you're already a target. You know, you're already on a trajectory. Um yeah. They say kids drop out, black boys. No, they're pushed out a lot of cases. Yeah. And so by the time they get to me in high school, these kids are hard, yeah. hardcore. They don't care about nobody. They don't care about anything. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to them talk, they gave up a long time ago, not because they were weak boys, mm-hmm. but because they were targets and not given the benefit of the doubt on anything. Mm-hmm. And so those are a lot of things, things that should be safe space. And that's another residual effect of integration, unfortunately, mm-hmm. is that when I talk to these uh, uh, 70, 80 year olds who were um, old enough to remember pre-integration, post-integration, they will tell you 
that dynamic within the school, those black male principals, uh, mm -hmm. black male teachers and teachers, mm -hmm. every teacher was vested in every child. Right. Mm -hmm. After integration, um, unfortunately, a lot of those principals and teachers lost their jobs. Mm -hmm. And then our kids went into a system, the boys, especially because men have always been a target since we got here, uh, black women too, but especially men because they understood the importance of a strong black man and tearing that man down. Mm -hmm. But they were integrated into a system that totally was not for them. Mm -hmm. And so we have all these, by the time you get to our age mark and all these life experiences that we have and trying mm -hmm. to find life spaces, we find ourselves talking about it now, finally talking about it. Right. And it right. could have been a long time ago. <laughs> and, and I think part of that too is fear. You know, I, I I think we can rebuild our communities. You know, there are a lot we can do. We work together, but it is fear and fear and competition. Let me put it that way: fear and competition. <clears throat> Everybody wants to be in charge, in control. Your ideas don't matter. Only my ideas matter. What you say is irrelevant, but what I say is important. And if we stop doing that and figure out, I like what you said. Let me take a bit of piece of that, bit of piece of what you have, and let's work together as men. And I say black and brown community because we can't do it without each other. We, our communities are connected in a way that we, yes, we know the black experience, but now our Latino experience is starting to spill over um, into our black experiences. Sometimes it is integrated. Um, and I'll, I think about that with the, the kids at my school. I, I work at a predominantly black and Latino school. So, I just look at the students as students. So when I interact with the parents, they're just parents because they're having the same experiences as all of our students. And then there's sometimes you can't tell who's who anymore because, you know, we have students that I, I thought they were black and they were like, no, I'm from the Dominican Republic, you know, but no accent, nothing, but they look, well, the kids look like he could be my son, you know. Mark, hey, Mark, if I, may inter if I may interject. Yes, you may. The African diaspora right. was all in South and Now, they don't like to admit it, you know, unfortunately, uh, right, right. but you know, before 1619, slaves were in South America, Honduras. Right. So, so you have it uh, in Cuba. So you have a lot of Afro Latinos, but of course, they have that same internalized colorism issue with inferiority. Uh, mm -hmm. Don't like their color. So, but I just want to interject that yeah, they right. they, they all brothers and sisters. But we all brothers and sisters, sisters, right? But 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 they right. come in with their internalized self-hatred too. Of course, that was taught, right? And, right. and and sometimes I know we may speak a different language, but you yeah. know when you're living on the same planet, breathing the same air, share, it's all the same language. <laughs> same, the absolutely. Um, <laughs> let's talk about that a little bit. Um, in regards to the safe spaces, what are some of the pitfalls we're running into? as we're creating these safe spaces within our organizations, within our support communities, within our homes, what are some of the challenges that we run into? And then we'll talk about maybe some ways we can kind of help get out of that. Okay. I think one of the immediate thoughts that come to mind is that, you know, dealing with this particular population who don't have a lot of choices, don't have a lot of options, and then in, in trying to create safe spaces, still don't have choices and options because there's no one or no organization or community or family um, able to provide them with choices and options. And I'm just kind of thinking that's the starting point. 
how do we develop choices and options for, you know, our black and brown brothers to begin to investigate safe spaces and become willing to engage in safe spaces? Because I think that's another piece of the puzzle also. Right. What, one of the things I, I've done um, at my school, I created a comic book club. And some people go, comic book club, superheroes and all that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it gives our kids the opportunity to enjoy things that they would, you know, they enjoy them anyway, but they might feel a little uncomfortable sharing with their friends in the neighborhood uh, mm -hmm. for various reasons. But then also they're learning because I'm like, oh, if you look at my curriculum for that, we don't just talk about comic books. We're doing science mm -hmm. and world building and character mm -hmm. design and we're doing fitness and a little bit of everything. I said, no, no, it's not just comic books, although I'm related to the superheroes, but like we're doing science soon and they don't know it. It's fun, but it's a safe space for them. They can come in and be there. Like you said, James, early authentic self. Nobody's yes. judging anybody. You right. know, this is what you like. Come on in, have fun, you know. Right. But that's something I had to learn for myself. Because when right. I was in college, I didn't want anybody to know I like superheroes. I had my whole comic book collection. I kept it, I kept it hidden in the dorm room and nobody's gonna be in a room, break out my comic books, but I shouldn't have to do that. You know, yeah. if this is what I like and this is who I am, you shouldn't have to hide that. But right. I think we do that as men, we hide parts of ourselves, you know. We want people to see this tough exterior, but they don't yeah. want to see the man who likes classical music, who likes mm -hmm. to go to the ballet or you know, um, who likes watching softball or playing baseball or maybe not playing sports at all, you know. Watching maybe, Jeopardy. Yeah, watching Jeopardy. Watching Jeopardy. <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> but, but see, that's what's important, that we have to rediscover who we are as people and as Absolutely. men um, and not be afraid. Well, well, I think we we, we have the blueprint. Um, I remember at a, I was at a middle school uh Maybe three years ago, we had this thing called Gentlemen of Quality, GQ Club, Gentlemen of Quality Club, mm. where boys came in and, you know, they had the safe space. They can do what they want to do. So there there are organizations and things like that out there that mm. getting people engaged. And, and one thing that I'm finding um, with our boys, and, um, and I know um, if you may, Mark, you may remember this. Um, I, I'm one who believes that music, what you listen to, mm -hmm. I think it attaches to your psyche. Mm -hmm. I think right. it attaches to your inner self. And in the late 80s, we grew up listening to KRS-One, Etchland. Right. So we, we listened to music that made you want to go to the library and pick up a book and say, oh, who are they talking about? Right. Today, if if you listen to the lyrics, um, the lyrics there, the depraved lyrics that these kids are looking to hours and hours upon hours. Right. Yes. And they're internalizing this stuff. Yes. And, uh, uh, so they, with their internalization, we get the residual effects of it. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that when you try to approach a kid, hey, let, join a mentor, love the Sigma Beta Club, you know, learn how to tie a tie. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in their worldview that lets them see that that is something that's cool to do. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That's how. Mm -hmm. So, so you got to break down those barriers. Um, and sometimes, with our boys meeting where they are, means you may have to go down a little bit mm -hmm. to get them up. But mm -hmm. that in itself is a challenge. Mm -hmm. So we have all these other things that are 
grabbing the attention and the souls of our young boys that are embarrassed for us to try to reach them to get them to a place where they can come to a place where they can feel safe. Because what they're listening to is not telling them that to communicate or be soft or be anything. It's total, total opposite. And yeah. then you see social media on top of that and the insanity there. We, we're going to get into that. Yeah. We'll get into that. I, I have that. That's coming towards the end. I got, I, I have exactly. something. So Nia, hold that thought on social media. Cause we're going to okay. dig into that. Um, <laughs> let, let me talk about music real quick. Um, James is right. We grew up at a time and Nia, even if, if I hope you don't mind me saying Nia's older than us. Yes. So I you came in a time where a lot of your music was about love then then that you had some of your righteous was going on and you know yes. talking about what's happening in the climate in the world and standing yes. together you know but then we came to the rap era where first it was about battling each other you know who got the best lyrics rhymes and all that then it became mm -hmm. the conscious rap you got your like you said Ooh. the x-clan and krs1 and you mm -hmm. got the tribe and then you know um you got uh public enemy and all these groups saying this is what's happening in the world pay attention and these right. are the men speaking out saying, hey, pay attention. And mm -hmm. then self-destruction, all those songs that came out and, you know, don't, don't curse and all these songs that yep. the That's men were trying yeah. and the men and the women were trying to say, hey, look, we have a problem here. We got to fix it. And this is how we can do it. We can stand together. But yeah. then what happened on the other end, you got the executives saying, you know what? <laughs> we don't want to hear that. Let's bring on the N.W.A. And I, yeah. I'm off the front. I listen yeah. to NWA too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. But you're still looking at making money. So right. you know, they don't care right. about the, the impact and the result of that, of listening to that kind of music. And Mark, I, and I mean, you're, I, I grew up in the projects, right? House Authority. And when you, when you walking down the street listening to that, it was a whole vibe. Yeah. You know, even with the youth, it was a whole vibe with that music. And yeah. I clearly see that they didn't want black boys growing up <laughs> having those type of no. positive thoughts. Mm -hmm. And like I said, when they injected that element into the game today, it is far, it is past far left. Yeah, yeah, it, and it, it shows. is. And it shows. And look, we had a kid in class. This is maybe January, so he's sitting there rapping out loud. And part of the lyrics, he was like riding down the street in my six four. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I said, stop. I said, I know that song. I'm not gonna good. sing the next few lyrics. So my, my sure. colleague, she was like, um, what's wrong with the song? I said, No, no, you don't know the next couple of lyrics. And I pulled them up and showed her to her. She's like, mm. Ooh, I said, Yeah. I said, I said, although it, it's not a great song, it is a song I knew from my childhood. You know, mm -hmm. I wasn't living that lifestyle, but I sure listened to Easy E and NWA and everybody else that came out after that and Cypress Hill and yeah, yeah. I, I, I know all those songs. But now, now I go back like, man, I'm so thankful I didn't get tied up in all that mess because <laughs> hey, it can get yeah. into you, like you said, James. It gets in you, you know. You know, you know. I tell my students, I tell my students that Ice Cube, Snoop Dogg, all of them. They send their kids to private school. Sure yeah. yep. <laughs> and, and a lot of these rappers are rapping about a life they don't live. Exactly. Because they're, they're meeting with their accountants. Right. Because they want themselves <laughs> they and their business. kids to be in a safe space. Right. And, and, exactly. and, they, and they're not even, exactly. 
and they're not even living in the community that they're portraying in their lyrics. And exactly. also, uh, and secondly, uh, and I'll diver, uh, digress after this, um, the, the kids with those lyrics, you know, I told them to do an exercise with the students one year. I told them to print the lyrics out, get them in front of class and read them without mm -hmm. the music. So you can mm -hmm. see what you're really saying. Right, right. And, and, and what happened is when you start saying it without the music, you can see the shame and the pause. Like, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, because and, words are so powerful too. Right, absolutely. I had a discussion with a, that's one of my um, presentations is the power of your words and having the kids to understand what you say about yourself and about each other is very powerful. And those words are alive. You know, mm -hmm. you can punch me, beat me up. Yeah, that will hurt. Mm -hmm. But it's what you say that can last a lifetime. And mm -hmm. some people go, oh, words, they, they don't matter. You forget them. No, you don't. No, Somebody you don't. can say, no. I love you. I care for you. You say, oh, great, wonderful. But let that one person say, I hate you. Mm -hmm. You'll remember that for the rest of your life, that that one person said they hate you. Right. And it might be 20 yeah. years later, you'll see that person at homecoming, wherever, and you'll be like, I remember you said you hate me. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's because those words are so alive. And yes, I, 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 let me talk about that real quick. Um, it wasn't part of my discussion, but the importance of words in those safe spaces. Um, yeah. We used to have a group come into our school of men to work with our students, and they didn't realize what they were doing wasn't building our students up; it was breaking them down how they were talking to them. To mm. them, to the group of men, the way they talked to the kids was, hey, you, sit down. And I'm thinking, no, that's mm -hmm. not what our kids need. They might go home to that. Mm -hmm. So now you're not creating a safe space at school. They, This should be a safe space. Mm -hmm. You know, They should come to us and feel they can talk and be a part of something that, that's going to help them because at home they might be hearing that. But these right. guys, they, they had this... I almost feel like they had the chip on their shoulders. You know, mm -hmm. they had to come in and prove that they were men by being tough. And, you know, you didn't do your homework. Why don't you do your homework? You go do your homework. You know, that type of thing. And I'm sitting there going, I don't know. I, I sat in the library and listened to them one day. And I'm thinking, you're trying to scare these boys into making good choices. And no, what you're teaching them is that you can yell and scream and put fear in somebody else. That wasn't a safe space at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And it makes me think, too, of just an example of a, a young black man growing up and maybe having the people who are raising him telling him every day, you're never going to amount to anything. You know, you ain't this, you ain't that. And I'm sorry, that tape will play in that person's head right. until they're old and, and, and gray. And it, it goes back to something Dr. Phil says, you know, it takes a thousand attaboys to overcome one negative state. Yes, yes. Being told you never amount to anything. How many attaboys do you need to overcome that so that you can see that that was incorrect information you were given? Right. So it's not true. Again, going back to the safe space. Right. Yeah. And and one thing about words is not only and here's another thing, Mark. Uh, and, and, and not it's not only uh, what people are saying about you, right? You got to deal with what society's saying about you. Right. Right. Because 
because what society is saying about you that impacts everybody's actions towards you already right mm-hmm. so so it's the known and the unknown absolutely and <laughs> <laughs> you're right because even even as an older man when i walk into certain spaces you know when when you walk with confidence people turn and look at you anyway mm-hmm. you know it's either who are you or what are you doing here um and and i hate to say this one but oh wow you're very articulate like and i'm not supposed to be you know i I know how to carry myself this is how i speak to people you know um and and it's it's shocking sometimes or when somebody talks to you on the phone and you meet them in person and you can tell they're shocked to see who this person is on the other end and and i bring it up because it also puts you in a space of am i comfortable here Mm -hmm. yeah and I know myself, if I'm not comfortable, I'm going to stay. I'm mm-hmm. not going to leave. I'm going to make yeah. you feel uncomfortable. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I, certain space, I will, and I, I bring back the restaurant because um, I do this often. I go up and they'll say how many, and I'll say one. And they kind of look at you like, do you want to sit at the bar? No, I do not want to sit at a bar. I want a booth because I'm not going to go to the bar and drink. I want to mm-hmm. sit in the booth. Well, what about a high top? No, I said a booth. You're not going to change my mind. I'm not going to sit there. I'm I'm six feet tall. My feet swinging. No, I'm not sitting there with baby tables. Um, no, but it, it just feels like you know you have to say you know what I'm going to make this my safe space, whether you want me here or not, whether you're going to treat me with respect or not. I'm still going to make it my safe space, and I'm going to demand your respect. But I'm gonna do it in a way that I don't have to be like, you're gonna respect me. No, 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 no. That that's spitting fire and all I don't need all yeah. that. You know, yeah. but I'm gonna be very professional how I address you. So that way you have to get that back to me in return. And if you don't, guess what? I'll just talk to your manager or somebody else. But I haven't had any negative experiences like that, but I do watch how people react to when I walk into certain spaces. Um prime yeah. example, real quick, Neil, our meeting we had. Mm-hmm. The first time we met, I had no idea what to expect from this meeting. I went in going, hmm. But, <laughs> and I'm watching the room. I'm, that's what I do. I watch the room. I watch everybody. I watch the, there's a principal over there. This is the counselor here. The person next to me is counselor. Mm-hmm. This person. I'm watching how people carry themselves and act. Mm-hmm. And once you feel it's a safe space, then I'm like, okay, then I can share what I feel like is necessary to share. And right. I'm not going to feel some type of way, you know, right. um, and that and I think that's how I gauge a room mm-hmm. or, or even a virtual meeting. If I go somewhere, I, I gauge that and that, and that once I feel like I'm comfortable, then I'll interject, share, uh, say something. Mm-hmm. And and two, I think it also goes back to we teach people how to treat us. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. By setting boundaries. You know, if you do A, B and C, I'm cool with that. D, E, and F, I got an issue. Mm-hmm. And and I think, again, for Black men, a lot of Black men allow people to just treat them any old kind of way, and then they get upset. Oh, well, you know, they disrespected me in this, that, and right. that. It, it's because you didn't set boundaries, and you didn't let that person know, or persons know what was okay and what was not okay. But again, how are they going to learn that 
if say my generation doesn't teach them right that you do how to treat it it, it, exactly and i know mark you mentioned about like uh you speak so well you're so articulate or you're sitting down and say your children are so well behaved Uh, right Uh, and and here and here's what i've learned uh through a lot of reading and stuff is that um inferiority having an inferiority complex uh does it uh, having a superiority complex does as much damage as having an inferiority complex mm-hmm. because if your expectation of someone is to be less than you and they act outside your internal paradigm it's going to cause you to say something like that but my thing is like you say mark is that i just don't let people be comfortable in their ignorance right right, mm-hmm. right. i mean i don't go off the kilter and go off free whatever <laughs> but i will conduct or say or ask a question in myself or what you mean by articulate I'm confused right and just, right. And, just and just call and, and then it will be such a sting to them because they've probably never been questioned on it because they've said it to so many black people but for, for forever the next time they say it or think about saying it they remember oh yeah mm-hmm. it, it, you know it's funny um yeah, the yeah. summer camp that I work at during the summers, um, it's a mixed mix camp, Black and Latino kids. Yeah. And every time we go out in public, there's always somebody who says, oh, they are so well-behaved. Of course, that's what I expect from them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're expecting, it's not but I, I, it's my expectations to go out in public. We're not going to be cussing. We're not going to be dancing and all this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like you're not going to be dropping it like it's hot out there. You know, like we're out in public and there's expectations I have for you, you know, mm-hmm. as being here and trying to teach them that you don't have to follow what society is showing on you on social media. And we'll get to that in just a minute. I didn't forget about the social media yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. But it's one of those things where they're shocked when we go into certain spaces and we are well-behaved. Yeah, just because your kids are running and swinging off the chandeliers and falling and jumping and yelling at you, you don't mean our kids got to do that. We're good, you know? Here's the thing, Mark. It's labeled differently. Because it is. when they're running all over the place, oh, they're rambunctious. Mm-hmm. So they just have a lot of energy, you know? Mm-hmm. So the same behavior to us is looked down on in a different way. And I and when and like and as far as images and everything they say negative for social media. But the images, those negative stereotypical images, they were shipped out all over the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So when immigrants came here from from Asia, uh, from Asia, even from Africa, mm-hmm. they came in with a certain idea of what we are based right. on what was shipped out in media and all that good stuff right, right. and and so that's another in another layer mm-hmm. <laughs> that you're that you're dealing with when it comes to those type of things absolutely so, absolutely yeah, oh yeah. um let me talk about something we're going to switch gears a little bit um okay. so in, in talking about having these safe spaces for black and brown men and the impact of not having them readily available um as much as we want to say yeah you, there, there there are things for you there's not a lot. Um, there are services available, but not always readily available to us. Um, there are organizations out there, but sometimes you got to dig deep to find them. Um, mm-hmm. There are support communities out there, but it's not always designed to uh, or geared towards helping black and brown men. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying there's no organizations, no support, but I'm saying it's limited. Mm-hmm. And with that, comes the impact 
And that impact, sometimes it's the anxiety, sometimes it's the deep depression that men go through. Um, sometimes it is the physical violence that the men exhibit because they need something and they can't quite get it. But then there's also um, the suicide rate. And I know we don't often want to talk about that, especially the suicide rate and in black men and brown men. And it's very, it's very alarming. And there was an article that, um, that I started reading by psychiatrist Patrice Harris, MD, and she's the former president of the American Medical Association. And this is medically reviewed, so don't feel like, oh, he's just making something up. And she put out there five reasons why um, suicide is on the rise in the Black community, in particular, you know, looking at our men. And and let's talk about, um, she did a lot of studies and between 2014, 2019, how the rates started going up. You know, um, they talked about a lot of the well-known people that, you know, celebrities that have committed suicide. And um, we know about them, but then we think about the people in our general public that we don't know that have committed, you know, as well. Uh, We don't often hear about them. But just I'm not going to go through this whole article because it does focus on the youth as well. There's a big issue with our youth taking their lives and also the men. But uh, she was just saying that it's really it's really bad for the men. And we'll get into that in a minute. But one of the things, the number one reason she put up there was social media. You know, mm-hmm. this thing we love, TikTok, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, all these things. You know, we show our best lives. Oh, I'm going to the moon today. My honey, we're going to fly out there on our favorite rocket ship, you know. So you got the whole family, the rocket ship. You know, I'm making this up, people. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there will be a rocket ship flying up soon with four people on a rocket ship um, <laughs> going to the moon. But I'm just saying how we we exaggerate our lives sometimes to make other people feel minute. Um, I've seen pastors do that. Oh, look at my house. Look at my congregation. I have money. I'm going, look at my new gator shoes. And then you got somebody watching it after a while. They kind of feel like I don't measure up to that. Mm -hmm. Or I get paid all this money. Look, you know, I'm paid. And this person working this job feel like I don't measure up to that. Or I got a new ride. Well, somebody may feel like I don't have a new ride, but I want one, but I can't afford one. All these things we throw out on social media that we don't think about the impact on our men and the women, but right now we're really talking about men, the impact that we see, you know, um, how it affects our youth, our young boys are looking at, I want to be this star. I want to be like this person. This person got this and that. And when they don't reach it, they feel inadequate and also feel maybe I don't need to be here and make choices Mm -hmm. that impact everybody, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and it it goes back to uh, Rita, redefine those internal dynamics because right. what happens you got people who are who are basing their self-worth based on proximity to having things right right and so in, in society everything is telling you if you want to have a, a a girl or what have you you have to have these things right and then you sit here looking at your resistance and a lot of times listen one thing if you look at the social media facebook pages those are snapshots Right. You see, you'll see people like the the 
the, the husband and wife, they're taking the, the church picture. Man, they fucked the whole ride there. <laughs> so, Trust me, I've so, had some of those church pictures. Hey, everybody smile. Yeah, 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 yeah me, too, me too. I just had one. So yeah. But 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 the point is is that uh that snapshot does not tell the story. Right. Right. That's true. At all. Um and, and the suits are right. My nephew um um is at it's a at Chapel Hill right now. And a couple of um last semester, a gentleman, he was actually one opportunity brothers, Mark, hmm. uh jumped off and committed suicide off one of those buildings there on campus. Hmm. And actually my nephew was there and saw him on the ground, so they had to come get him because that had a traumatic effect on him right. as well. Right. And mm -hmm. so what I'm finding is that these kids on these campuses are not committing suicide. They're more and more African American. And these and these are, are black and Latino, but mostly black. And what you're seeing, these are kids who are high achievers, high grades, uh, come from great families, but whatever's going on with them is compelling them to go and do something that drastic, you know, a, a permanent solution for a temporary problem, as they say. Right, um, right. So uh yeah, so that that's definitely something that's that's worrying. And I don't know what caused that shift. And you're right, the advent of social media, that definitely uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and even sometimes our organizations, um, as great as they were, and I say were, because it was all it was all about supporting the black men, support I'm just talking about the fraternities right now, yeah. supporting each other, building each other up, you know, giving us a way to work with the community. And I think it shifted for a little bit and became more of an entertainment. Um, you know, we get these letters because now I'm cool now, you know. And Hollywood kind of did that. Stomp the Yard and all these other movies that came out, you know, make make it look like that's what it's all about. You join the frat, you get the girl. No, I always said, if you didn't get the girl before you join the frat, you still ain't going to get her. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that was always my mindset. Um, but it gives them this false pretense that being in an organization is going to solve all your problems. No, being able to talk to somebody and open up and share and let people know what you're dealing with is going to help you, you know, whether it's somebody in the organization or somebody else like a therapist, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. and we'll get to that soon too. Mm -hmm. uh, Mia, you have anything you want to add in? I, one piece that just kind of sticks in my mind is that social media, it's not all bad. I mean, right. there's some right. there. Yes. You know, it's it's allowed people to connect on a completely mm -hmm. different level. One of the things, though, and this is an article I read a couple of weeks ago, is that as human beings, our response to stressful situations changed significantly in this lifetime, my lifetime, after two events. The first one was 9-11, mm -hmm. when wow. in general, their response to stressful situations just completely shifted. People didn't right. think. And the second one was the COVID pandemic and mm -hmm. having to deal with that threat and being isolated and everything like that. And I think that especially with COVID and social media and black and brown men, it did a whammy of a job. It did. Of yeah. Those thoughts of, I don't want to be here. This is yeah. too hard. Uh, it's too painful. I don't know how to cope or deal with this. So if I'm not here, then I don't have to deal with all this pain. Right. And and I think that that's something that as a society and again, as a community, 
we mm. have to focus in on to help our black and brown men. Well, right. To deal with that. Uh, I'm glad you brought up brought up. Um, we know about 9/11 um, and the stress it brought on, and we were able to keep moving forward a bit. But with the pandemic, everything stopped. And then you got to think about for some of the some of our men, you had certain jobs they disappeared. Uh, whether you're doing construction, whether you worked in the office, everything changed. And sometimes what you had, you don't have anymore. But yep. the pressure of the world is still there saying you still need to earn this. You still need to make this. You still need to have this type of job, this type of house, this type of car. But I'm mm -hmm. thinking that was just like pretty much like last week. <laughs> you know, that's how the yeah. pandemic feels. It was last week when no one had a job because everybody was sitting at home trying to figure out what's next. Right. How do we move forward? Right. And it, it, I feel now going forward, we're trying to still figure this thing out. Like, what do I do with my life next? Oh, I'm going to work here. And then you hear, oh, we're going to get laid off next week. So mm -hmm. it's still that pressure that comes in, the stress. Mm -hmm. And now I got to figure out how do I manage what's going on in my head? How do I deal with what's going on in my body now? Because I'm feeling this extra anger and stress because now I'm going through it again. Who do right. I talk to? Oh, how do we even talk about it? Right. Yes, and that, I'm sorry, Martin. One thing about the pandemic also is that when those people went home, things that they weren't dealing with or they were right. so busy to even deal with, now when they you sit down and yeah. get still, it hits you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Yep. And another thing also, when it comes to therapy, uh, there is a stigma with Black men about mm -hmm. going to therapy. We're going to get there. James, no. let's stop right there. Hold on. That's the next part. I'm glad you brought that up. That's the next part in our article. Okay. Number two, mental health stigma impedes Black people from seeking help. James, you must have read the same article, but that was the next part. <laughs> Man, well, well, I'm sorry, but yeah, I get it. And also, um, oh, are we on it? or are we on it? We, we, We're on it now. You brought it yeah, up. Okay. That's number two. <laughs> okay, well, I tell you what. Um, and one thing about therapists, um, therapy of therapists, one thing is that also it's important that you can find a black therapist, right? right? Because you understand that having a black therapist, there are some cultural understandings or unspoken things that are understood that the therapist can already connect with in the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so that has a lot to um, do as far as that safe space, you know. Right. Nothing when I when I go to a therapist, and I'm not saying that white therapists can't do the job, I'm not saying that at all. But um, if you want to have a safe space, you want to sit down with somebody that you're at least comfortable with. Right. right. Absolutely. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and you know, it's interesting you say that, James, being a therapist. Um, yes, yes, yes. And 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 working with my African American um male clients and seeing the increase in suicidal ideation because you know i i get clients that i ask them when's the last time you thought about suicide two weeks ago wow. you know and it's like okay so what i have to do is in creating that safe space i have to watch my language which we've talked about and make it invitational right. and, and when i say invitational it's like i'm inviting you to join me in this space where you don't have to be anything other than who you authentically are and realize there's no judgment here and that my role is not to fix your problems, that's your job, but to be a, a listener, 
a facilitator, provide you with information and resources to help you start on this healing journey. Because if you just thought about suicide two weeks ago, in my mind, that's a crisis. Oh, absolutely. You know, you're telling me I'm worried about, can I take care of my family? You know, yada, yada. And I go back to, let's first of all talk about, and please, I'm inviting you to help me understand what you need to do to take care of yourself first, because you can't help or do anything for your family, your friends, your neighbors, none of that, unless you take care of you and make yourself your number one priority. And as we work on that, then you're able to do all the 5,724 things mm-hmm. you do in the course of a day. You yes. know, I really do try to make that sacred space, I call it sacred space, invitation. I'm inviting Absolutely. you in and um, and we'll be here for as long as you need to be here. You and know? I'm going to add a stat to that that she put in here in her article. She said um, there's a lack of representation among mental health professionals what makes it difficult for Black people to find culturally competent mental health care or health care <laughs> that meets the patient's cultural, social, and language-related needs. Only 2% of psychiatrists or 4% of psychologists in the United States are Black. And that's according to the American uh, Psychiatric Association and psych- the American Psychological Association. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. I swear, I, swear I, didn't, I didn't read the article, Mark. I didn't read the article. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, in this article, the next part they talked about was um, the how treatment is often less accessible for our communities, you know, um, sometimes it's because of health insurance. Um, it says, I saw it somewhere in here, I was just reading it, 25% of Black Americans are uninsured and more likely to see emergency or primary care health pra- practitioners. And I'm not sure what that number is for Latino um, brothers and sisters or men in particular, because is this is only talking about the Black community right now. Um, but I'm sure that number is up there as well, because depends on your job. You might be working under the table when you don't have insurance. Right. You just get yeah. money. That's so right. if you get the money, you don't buy insurance. Right. Um, and I can tell you right now, buying insurance is expensive. Yes. It, it, yes. Um, that brief six months that I was away from Wake County, mm-hmm. I had to buy my own insurance. I was like, man. I gotta get back. I gotta get back into the school system because this is killing me. Like, but a cobra, a cobra, a cobra, whatever. No, it wasn't a cobra. It was just um, I had to pick up insurance anyway because of the law and all that stuff. So I picked yeah. up insurance. Different company, Bright Healthcare. Man, they were killing me. Mm-hmm. I was like, how can I go see the doctor if I I can't afford to pay for the insurance? Right. I mean, but right. that's a real that really? that's a real scenario in our community, you know. Mm-hmm. And we talk about doctors being a safe space we don't feel safe if we got to pay you all this money because now i'm broke mm-hmm. and then we often feel you're going to give me the correct diagnosis for whatever's going on with me right you know and you know if i'm feeling if i'm telling you i'm dealing with this inside my body inside my head how is that other person thinking and feeling now what are they truly thinking about me you know mm-hmm. they're going to prescribe you whatever they whatever they feel like you need but maybe mm-hmm. that's not what I need. Maybe I need to go talk to somebody instead of you giving me medication. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. And and I think too that also speaks to just healthcare in general, mm-hmm. because 
it's not easy for an African-American male to go see a doctor if his back is bothering him or there's some other physical things. And there are not enough healthcare practitioners out here willing to accept a dollar for seeing a patient who's having some problems. And being in private practice, I can, if you ain't got no money, but you need mental health care, can you afford 25 cents? Okay, then I'll take that. Or, you know, and, and I think more healthcare practitioners need to do that because healthcare is expensive and people need the help. And Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we, we just need to make those changes. We do. Now, I, I, I will go pull something out real quick. I, I just pulled up um, the lyrics to um, the message from back in the days. Grandmaster Flash, Furious mm-hmm. Five. And, mm-hmm. and the one part that always stands out, there's a lot going on, but when it gets to uh, the one part that says, don't push me because I'm close to the edge. Close to the edge. I'm, yeah. I'm trying not to lose my head. That is, I mean, really, as much, I, I like the whole song, but when I get to that part, I stop and go, we're telling people right now, we're dealing with a lot. I'm mm-hmm. close to the edge. Don't push me. Mm-hmm. And and I'm bringing that up real quick uh, for the Vitiligo community who's listening and thank you for listening in. Sometimes we we want to push our brothers and sisters to accept something that they're not ready to accept. And it also applies to just living life. Sometimes we try to push people to accept what they're going through and they're not ready. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody's not ready, you're going to either push them over the edge or you're going to pull them into a scenario they don't want to be into, you know, mm-hmm. and we got to be very careful. Like, like you said, Nia, the language that you use, you got to be very careful how you mm-hmm. speak to somebody because you mm-hmm. don't know which way it's going to go. Same thing. When I work with kids, mm-hmm. I got to be careful on what I say to them mm-hmm. because I can set them off. And sometimes I, I can have a situation under control and somebody else comes in, boom, boom, boom. And next thing you know, this thing has fired out of control and they can't, the other adult says, I don't know what happened. I do. You yeah. butted in. You should have been quiet. Yeah, you're you still talking, you know. Exactly. Um, now, I, look, I, I, and sometimes I reverse things. I was talking to a kid and I, I actually used that on him. Um, I, I said, look, can you sit down? Because he didn't want to go sit and talk. I said, that's cool. I said, can I go sit in the comfy chair? And you listen to me. He said, okay. And he kind of gave me that look like, oh, why you need to go sit in the chair? <laughs> but I sat in the chair and I just said to him, you know what? I said, I'm having a rough day. He said, you are? I said, yes. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm having a rough day. I have been all over the school. I just want to relax and and just get my work done. Mm-hmm. He, he gave me a hug. I said, thank you. I, I said, that's what I needed for the moment. And now you need to go back to class. But still, (laughs) it's one of those things where I had to recognize I needed a moment in that chair. You know, Mm -hmm. and it goes back to the song, don't push me because I'm close to the edge and I'm trying to keep it together for myself. Right. And it was one of those moments that I felt like I had to use my safe space for the kids for myself. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's what we got to work on, identifying what we need for that moment, you know, and that's why even in our communities, when, when we talk about healthcare and we got to open up this dialogue more often and talk more often. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because as long as we're silent about it or, or we don't want to talk about it because it hits somebody in the heart here or hit them in the head here, still got to mm -hmm. do it. You know, mm -hmm. we could do it with love and with with some tact, but still, we still got to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you're right, man. You're exactly right. Yeah, we have to. And I learned uh, the older, the older I got, I realized that we have to get comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. Right, right, right. We, we have to have those hard uh, conversations because the issues are so dire today that ignoring them or pushing them to the side, especially when it comes to black and brown boys, men, uh, is silence is not an option now. Mm -hmm. You have to go down and have all all those hard conversations. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the, the the un the undiscussed trauma, uh, the 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 misogyny, all the stuff. Have those conversations of me in the safe spaces, because mm -hmm. if if not, it's gonna um, it's gonna worsen. I think. Yeah. Well, well, James, let's throw it to there since you kind of went down that rabbit hole a little bit. So the last two parts of her discussion was um, black black people continually face racism, discrimination. I'm going to add the fifth one in there and also been exposed to violence. Um, let, let's talk about that a little bit before we get to the end, because that's important. And when we talk about safe spaces. Our kids and I'm, I'm going to start with our young men. Our young men need to know that they're safe when they can talk to older adults you know i i think that is one of the fear because they come to us sometimes not knowing what we're going to do especially a young man talking to an older man you know you know and, and it feel like they always got that guard up like you know i'm ready you know what you gonna do what you know and it's like no just relax i have to tell that the kids open your hands and relax okay. I, i'm here to talk to you i'm not gonna you're not in trouble with me we just need to talk and I don't think we do enough of that. I, I think when I when I see those kids and I, that that with the, with the clinch and the tenseness, uh, there was a time when they weren't tense, right? So so what were the the combination of things that took that child from being not tense to on guard to be on defense, right? Because mm -hmm. it's a process. It's a process. That's why that relational capacity, things of that nature. Um, those women with dealing with students and everything. But man, when you're talking about the, the dynamic the impact of racism, um, uh, um, systematic, overt, covert, everything that, that's piling on these kids, kids that are probably experiencing and don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, it's it's especially especially in the school system where yeah, like like uh, we talked about before. Like kids that are not recommended for RS AP classes, even though having higher grades than their white counterparts, mm -hmm. you know, um, getting twice the suspension for um, things that uh, other kids are getting away with, mm -hmm. you know, um, being taught in front of it. And uh, I think it was James Baldwin that said, You can't teach a child you despise. Right. So you see these kids with 98% white teachers, I'm not saying all of them this way, but they're looking at them through their same cultural lenses that press judgment on these kids. And these children, when it comes to racism, I think it's an evil spirit that most people can discern. I think a lot of black kids are not mature enough to discern what it is, but they know something about that person. I don't like it. It comes yeah. in the act down, yeah. right? But yeah, I could go, I don't want to go too far down that, but it's just something <laughs> gotcha. to think about. Well, and two, and then I'm going to let Nia jump in, but yes. this, 
the kids are exposed. And this goes back to social media and access to information. Mm-hmm. Everything that happens in this world, our kids have access to. You know, from what happens what happened with George Floyd to what's happening in our local communities, or this child was killed, or this man was killed, or this happened. Our kids see it all. Mm-hmm. They see it, they have access to it as much as we try to protect them from it. Sometimes they know about it before we even do. Exactly. Exactly. So they have it on their phones, they have social media, it's there, it happens instantly. Things are being live streamed. And so our kids are experiencing these things. And then we wonder, what's wrong with our kids? Well, mm-hmm. maybe they're on sensory overload. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't know how to pull back from it because it's, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. And then they get angry because they see what's happening. Mm-hmm. And But they have a different mentality than we do. We feel, let's find a solution. Let's figure this thing out. You know, mm-hmm. let's build. They're like, no, let's destroy. Let's tear things up because mm-hmm. I'm mad and I'm angry. Mm-hmm. And that's not just black kids, it's black and Latino kids. They, that's how they feel. Anger, mad, I'm frustrated. You know, I just want to fight. I want to tear the world up. And I'm like, no, don't tear the world up. This is our home. We got to live on this planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Part of that too is, you know, black and brown men do the best that they can with the resources right. and information that they have available. So if you grow up and I can attest to this as a female, growing up, seeing violence, seeing people killed, you know, being involved in the streets and everything like that. If nobody ever taught you or modeled for you that there is a different way to deal with that, then you repeat what you saw. and And it will continue to be a cycle until something happens to break that cycle. So if I grew up and I have a client who saw his father shoot his mother in the head right in front of him. He didn't know what to do with that because nobody ever, you know, like, d- does this happen in other households? Right, uh, no, right. it doesn't. <laughs> you know, so let's talk about this. Right. He thought, okay, when you get mad, you, you go shoot somebody. That's what you, you do. Yeah. Step out of it. Yeah. You do what you know, you know, until you're taught better or you learn better. So. And, and that's one of the things that, and thank you for sharing that, Nia. That's one of the things I think we need to figure out. When we talk about safe spaces, we got to make sure the safe spaces are actually safe spaces and not just in title. Because I can say my safe space is over here, but I'm in a game. My safe space is here, but my uncle's teaching me how to fi- use a firearm and I'm, I'm seven or eight. Right. Or my safe space is over there with, you know, my auntie, but things are happening that I should not be exposed to as a child. And that that spirals into adulthood, you know, as a man. And we think our safe spaces that what we think are our safe spaces are really not safe. Mm-hmm. They just they're comfortable. They're what we know. Like you said, you know, if you're used to seeing certain things, then that's what you're going to be used to, you know, and you're going to think it's OK. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, what? Yeah, that's that's nothing. We have this thing, Mark, in the thing where you know you you tame the tiger, but send them back to the same jungle, mm-hmm. right? Right. Because mm-hmm. they'll be in your classroom. I have students that are when they come to my classroom, they work, but they listen. They're respectful. Yes or no, sir. They show their intelligence because my room is a safe space for them to be authentic, mm-hmm. and they can read and do all presentations and do all this stuff. But when they get in front of their friends. 
It's different. When they yeah. go back to their community or the games they belong to, which is their safe space, as you said, where right. they can where they get acceptance. Right. You know, right. where they get honesty, where they get security, somebody that has their back. Right. <laughs> right. Then that's what they're gonna lean on, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Because like you said before, there's no other paradigm that's gonna show them a different way that we can get the same results. Right, right. Not the corny kids that wear the ties every day. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Because that's what they think is corny. Right, right. Right. Yeah, we, we got a lot of work to do in our communities. I, I think to build these safe spaces for our young men and for our older men. Um because mm-hmm. I, I know even right now, when I think about the Vitiligo community, when I go to different meetings or virtual events there might be four or five men. I'm, I'm giving us four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's just me or it might be one other man. And I'm thinking, you know, we have to make sure the men feel comfortable enough to come to these meetings to be able to share, honestly, their thoughts and feelings without being judged or ridiculed or made to feel beneath somebody else, that mm-hmm. everybody has a story to tell and everybody's story is important. Because if we if we don't give that that opportunity to that man, he's going to go elsewhere or nowhere. He's going to disappear, you know. Um, and I can only say that because I, I was one of those men. If I didn't feel comfortable in a certain setting, if I didn't get an opportunity to share or talk without feeling judged, I'm not going back. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to disappear. I, I might be in the background like, oh, they got a meeting. No, I'm not going. You know, mm-hmm. and and even some of our and I'm not going to go too deep into it, but I'm just going to put it out there. Our religious institutions can be very judgmental on men coming out and saying, this is what I'm going through. Here's my experience. And I need somebody to talk to. But then it becomes a, we're going to pray for you, brother. Maybe I don't need you to pray for me. Maybe I need you to listen to me. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's a whole other show, Mark. That's another show. And, and. The the, the 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 damage of uh the damage in spiritual places yeah that's uh that's yeah. another show yeah I might yeah, even so. have to, I might have <laughs> a pass going for that one that one that's open to be, keeping it open, real because open and um, honest yes yeah open and honest because that is a real discussion because sometimes we will use religion as a safe space for other people and it's really not safe because now we're judging what they've done in their past or present or what they might do in the future but yeah. we're people you know yeah. i mean i might be cautious to you today and you might kiss me the wrong day i might cuss you out tomorrow and i have to apologize mm-hmm. but i'm just yeah. saying i'm using that as an example it's not really what's going to happen yeah. but <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah because because with safe spaces come to black men the, the churches have to figure out um how to reach that boy with the sagging pants. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yes, or yes, he, yeah, 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 or, or the sagging pants and the, the dreads and the right. rough pine edges. How to because I'm telling you, uh when it comes to boys, you know what I think I read somewhere to say that the ones that need love the most ask for it in the most unloving ways. They sure mm-hmm. do. So mm-hmm. sometimes that erratic and in, 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 in uh behavior, mm-hmm. uh destructive behavior. A lot of times it's a cry, help me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want you to know I want you to know I'm asking for help, but right. help me. <laughs> or, or acknowledge me. Say hi. Yes. Take my hand. Reach out. You yeah. know. And, mm-hmm. and we're we as adults sometimes become so fearful of our youth. We don't want to help them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really help each other sometimes because, oh man, I, don't, I, I ain't bringing James to the group because he know too much. So I ain't gonna ask him to talk because he gonna get all on pro black stuff, and I can't, I can't mess with him, man. He's at sixteen, nineteen. You know, I mean, we get into yeah, all yeah. these things in our head, or or that brother, yeah. all, all, or how about this one? All the ladies like that brother, so I can't ask him to come to any group because no, like why, why are we like that? Like we we are so focused on all the superficial stuff instead of saying. This brother needs some support. So mm-hmm. we're going to be the safe space for this brother to come here so he can talk and share because maybe he just lost his job. Maybe he lost somebody in his family and needs to talk about it. Right. And I got to be that listening ear without judging him, you know? Right. Yeah, Mark, Mark, I got I to gotta say it, man. You, you, I got to say it. Listen, <laughs> uh, um, you know, with integration, um, a, a lot of us moved to these white neighborhoods. And what happened, we, they started, a lot of us and black men who were normal, those role models in those communities, right. they start basing their self-worth on proximity to whiteness. But what happened is they start using that language. They had as much contempt for their own mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. that the white people did. And they start using that language. So that's, we we have our people saying them, or or they make us look bad, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That, that type of thing. Right. So. And so, yeah, yeah. So, all when it comes to safe spaces, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of internal work that has to be done to clear out this psyche that's been messed up over all these years. Where we get to a point to actually have those things uh, that you're talking about. A lot. And I'll add just one little piece to that. I think it's important for Black and Brown men to learn how. To identify what they're feeling. Yes. And have and I'll, I'll make it real short. You know, I'll ask a, a brother, "How you doing today?" I'm good. Okay. <laughs> going to rephrase that. Acronym <laughs> good is you just got off. You know, obfuscating how and describing how you really feel. So I'm not going to take good. I'm not going to take fine. I'm not going to take okay. I need you to take one second and just reflect. Are you feeling happy? Glad, sad, glad. Right. Pissed because I asked you this question. Because it's okay. It's okay. But I think that's real important for black men to start to do that. No. Hey, Mark, I go ahead, James. Fall down, fall down and break their head. Oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. good. I'm good. No, man, you're bleeding out. You're not good. Yeah. No, you're not. Exactly. Now, now, what I do ask at work, and we're going to come to the close in a minute, but I do ask right. this at work. When people ask me that question, how are you feeling today? Um, Which version do you want? Do you want the PC school version? Do you want the real Mark version? Because I'm going to tell you, if you ask, Mark, I'm going to tell you exactly how I'm feeling right now and what I just went through, how my arms feeling, how my back feeling, how I'm emotionally feeling, how I'm mentally feeling. And I'm about to go to lunch, so don't call me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I'm learning to keep it real because last year I didn't do that. I kept, it all, I kept it all in. And the result was I need to get away from this place for six months. Then I'll come back with a different mindset. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, hey, there's a problem. Speak. If I need something, speak. Uh, but I, I also got to know who I can speak to, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. I can't talk to everybody. Right. Um, and you got to make sure the people you're talking to, and I'm saying it again, is listening to you. Mm-hmm. Some people hear you, but they're not listening. They're right. just waiting to respond. Right. 
And and I have said to somebody one time, uh, I was like, can you just can you just shut up? <laughs> like <laughs> I'm talking to you, trying to tell you how yeah. I'm feeling about something, and you just and I know for people listening, oh, he says shut up. I know I did. And I just had to be real, like, I'm trying to explain to you what I'm going through, and you're not even hearing, you're hearing me, but you're not listening to me, because you're so busy trying to say something. I just need you to listen, and don't give me a response, because I don't want a response. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to pour out, you know. Right. Um, And and, and this is real. You got to be that way. Now, I'm going to share this one scenario um, that impacted me recently. So, one of my friends got married recently um, and it was, he had nines groomsmen and myself, I helped choreograph his, um, his um, serenade. So we were all just in the hotel. We were talking, not 10 men just having a conversation, just open conversation about dating relationships, everything. And I mean, the brothers were sharing about the heartaches and pains they went through. And I'm sitting there going, this is one of the realest conversations I've had in a long time because men, you know, often we keep it. What's what, what's 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 on the TV? Oh, the sports. Oh, basketball. We ain't talking about basketball. There was a game on. We were talking about relationships, how the past has impacted us, how we have changed at this point in our lives. Um, we were excited about this union that was about to happen. We were celebrating, you know, this gentleman's um, marriage. You know. I'm thinking more of us need to get together to do that, to be open, honest, unfiltered, sharing. If somebody felt hurt in any way, it was okay. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm telling you, I think we put it all out on the table, like our fears and our happiness, the joys, everything. And I'm sitting there going, yo, we all need to get together again because this it, it was powerful yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. And, and there's one picture on Facebook, and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anyone took a picture. And we were all sitting in the room just talking. I was like, yeah, that that's that's it. That's what I call a safe space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think and I think there's one thing that's different than our grandfather's great uncles and everything is that now I think that uh black men now a lot of times are more willing to do have those conversations with before right. it was taboo. Right. You don't right. talk about what's bothering you. And you took that stuff with you, and then you die at fifty of a heart attack because all that right, stress exactly. that's right. built up inside of you. Not only societal stress that you can't, because they can talk about racism, they can talk about what's happening to them. Right, that mm-hmm. keep all, the, and and that had a direct impact in the household. So yep. I I do like that now. There are spaces where, um, like some like that, where those brothers got together. It's probably the first time they did it, and they just just lied. <laughs> man. It it was so, yeah. it was so refreshing, and I say refreshing because you know, yeah. like when you drink water or, or whatever your favorite non-alcoholic beverage is, it makes you feel good <laughs> and, and and refresh after you drink it all down. You're like, man, that was good. I want to I want to refill. You know, that's how it was. It was like, man, that was a conversation I needed to hear. You know, yeah. as you're going through whatever you're going through, and I was like. Right. All right. I said, I'm going to throw up religious real quick. God knew what he was doing. He put us all together to have this conversation. And it was a variety of ages from like 60 down. You know, I think the youngest might have been 40 something. That was a great conversation. I said, okay. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And and that's what we need more of. So really, you know, just to kind of bring this to a close real quick for the listeners out there. um, Those safe spaces have to be safe. 
for men to really yeah. open to share to talk because we do want to talk honestly we do yeah. and if if it's one person that's willing to listen to us we'll open up and share things sometimes things you may not want to hear but mm-hmm. if you put yourself in that position to be that safe space you're gonna hear it. Mm-hmm. um yes. and they're gonna trust in you to sh- to not share it but to listen take it in and and to hold that dear you know don't go out there and spread it to the world hey johnny mm-hmm. said this and now you lost that person's trust you know mm-hmm. yeah same thing yeah same thing to those groups and I'm talking to any group, whether it's a fraternity, sorority, because that's for the women too. But you know, any of those organizations that you, you're there for people, if you're gonna be a safe space, be a safe space. You know, mm-hmm. allow especially our men to really open and share because we we need it. We need it. And a lot of times we want to, we don't always feel comfortable to do it. But as soon as we do, sometimes you can't get us to shut up. No, right. we're gonna keep talking. Yeah. Because right. I got to get yeah. this out. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. before we close out, I'm going to go around and see if y'all have any final last words for our listeners, words of encouragement, and then I'll close out at the end. Let's start with Nia. I guess my challenge would be to this community that we live in to create more safe spaces for our Black and Brown children, young men, adults to have conversations like you had with your friends that day. And I'm challenging the community. I want to be a part of creating that in this community. So anybody can reach out to me. Let's put our heads together and come up with something and not just talk about change, but actually make some changes that are going to be significant. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that, Mia. Mr. Smith. Wow, I mean, she nailed, she nailed it on the head. Um, like I said, no no man is an island. You know, we all we all need someone. Uh, we need those spaces where we can be our, our authentic selves. Uh, we need those spaces where we can commune and come up with uh, solutions, or just a space just to shoot the breeze at the right, right back in the day. And we need to make sure that we model something that I think what like Mia said, uh, to model what we expect these kids to see, you know? So yeah, um, no man's an island, be our authentic selves, have those safe spaces where we can be those things. And um, man, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for the invite, man. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I- I'm yeah. sorry, it went over an hour, but yeah, oh, when, when you're talking, sometimes it's like, well, we can't <laughs> yeah. stop here. We got a little more to talk about. There are other yeah. topics we could have added to this, but then we'll be going into the two hour mark. But mm-hmm. for our listeners, I thank you for tuning in and listening to this conversation. Um, yeah. One of the things you'll find out, I'm trying to change the narrative about vitiligo. I want people to see mm-hmm. us as people first. You are human beings on this planet first. Yes, we live with the skin condition. Uh, we know the underlying factors, autoimmune disease, but we don't want that to be the focus of every conversation. I want people to say, man, that community, they talk about everything because guess what? There's somebody in our community now that's dealing with the same exact thing we're talking about. They're trying to find a safe space and they need to find one and they want to make sure it's either in this community or some other community, maybe they're looking into finding a therapist, 
But let's allow them that opportunity to really open up and share with others and not feel judgmental and not even, you know, thinking about their skin. Remember, their skin is secondary. It's not your vitiligo to my brothers and sisters out there. That's not who you are. That's what you have, but that's not who you are. Who you are is in the inside. Yes. And once again, for our listeners, my guest today was Nia Rose and Jane Smith. Thank you two for being here. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you, man. Thanks welcome, for the invite, you're welcome. man. You're welcome. And for our listeners, you have been listening to Living Life and Love. I'm your host, Mark Braxton from Raleigh, North Carolina. A couple of things I always say, make sure we show love. Love your neighbors. Love your loved ones, your family, friends. Make sure you love your enemies. I know it's hard to do sometimes, but love your yeah. enemies. But most of all, look in that mirror and love yourself. And for the vitiligo community and for others listening in, remember, vitiligo is not contagious. Love is. Y'all have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to Living Life and Love with your host, Mark Braxton from Raleigh, North Carolina. Bit Friends podcast can be listened to on Blog Talk Radio iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on Facebook. Once again, Bitch Friends Podcasts are sponsored by My Vitiligo Team.